Uh, hi, everybody. It's so good to see you. It really is. Um, well, if you are new here, um, you just need to know we're doing, as Richard just said, a series on origins, and this is the second one in. And origins is uh, a series based around Genesis 1 to 11. And basically, it's pretty much the origins of everything are, I said pretty much, but pretty much the origins of everything in those first 11 chapters of Genesis. And that's why we've, we've gone down this route. So if you weren't here last week, I can't emphasize enough, it'd be so helpful for you to hear Genesis 1, and we'll be coming into Genesis 1 in a minute, from uh, John when he did the origins of life last week. Please hear it. Uh, uh, one, it was, it was excellent, but two, yeah, it's so helpful for you, just so helpful for you to be absolutely grounded in the truth of God's word. So please do that. Now, during this series, we'll cover foundational themes, uh, such as the origins of uh, sin and hope, of suffering, grace, covenant, you know, it's all in there. So, um, and that's why we encourage you to come on that November the 12th, that evening, Please do that. I mean, there must be loads of questions that you'll have and, and we've set it up particularly for that, that you, you'll be able to have a question and answer as well as there being a presentation that evening. Great. Well, let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and we're at verse 26 and we're going to go through to 31 but we're really going to stay around about 26, 27 but I want to give you the context of all of it. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. It was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. We do a course called Alpha, and on the Alpha course, it's got all those questions about the meaning of life. And that's what Alpha does. It sort of works through the, it explores the meaning of life from a Christian perspective, but it helps ask all the questions. What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? Do I have any meaning? 
where do I fit? Now listen, if, if you believe in a creator God and all life stems from him, then he is the beginning of the story, not you. He is the beginning of the story. And I just want to add this. We are not the main characters. God is. This is set out right from the start in Genesis chapter 1. You know, the answer to meaning and purpose has to be wrapped up in God. It has to be. And the point is underlined all the way through this chapter of Genesis 1. Every time God creates, basically prefaced with the word, and God said. You know, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let the water team with living creatures. And God said, let the land produce living creatures. And God said, so that's, that's you know, you, who's the main character here? It's God. God is the main character. And then God said, and at this point you get a, the language changes. It's not just the word then, by the way. The, the language changes, you notice that then and only then does God directly refer to himself in the plural. Everywhere else it's God and he and God and and, and now we get this, let us make man in our image. Our image. Now our image, our likeness. Not mine, but ours. Not he, but us. This is particular to mankind. St. Augustine said, the Trinity is the only version of God in community. The only version. You know, if you look to the West, you get impersonal gods. If you look to the east, you get multiple gods. But the Christian God is community. Hence, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So today, in tackling this, coming down to origins of humanity, we're going to have a look. What does God do? And, and what does it mean? And the both, basically they'll overlap a bit as well. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. This is, a, this is highly topical. Male and female he created them. God does not create general persons. Please get that. He doesn't do that. He creates male and female persons. Nowhere else in the account of creation does God differentiate with the words male and female except at this point, except with humanity. Nowhere else. It stands out. It's prominent. From all the living creatures, only in humanity is this prominent. Sex and gender is not incidental to our humanness. And do you know, my friends, it's the very essence of who we are. This is the word of God. This is where we stand. We've been empowered as male and female to reflect the image of God. Well, you say, Neil, why, why is this so important? You might not be saying that, but I'm, I'm, you may be saying, why is this so important? Because in our culture, the gender debate is a live issue. Did you know that? If you didn't, where have you been living? What planet have you been part of? If you weren't aware of that. It's hardly a day goes by. I was noting all this week, hardly a day goes by. 
something isn't about gender on TV, on radio. I mean, it, it, and well, let me just say this. It's not merely a topic. You've got to be careful of that. Because it involves people. You know? we do, sometimes we blunder in on these things. Forgetting that it involves people. It involves people. And in conversations with others, and I'm and aware that this is a live issue, actually for some of us here, for some of you, in regard to family or friends or colleagues at work, this is a live issue. You, you, you are aware of this. Some of you have spoken to me about it. And maybe for you it might be a live issue for someone here, for one of you or some of you today. In our culture, this has momentum. This has momentum. I heard of someone who, of a, who knew of a normal school where they were celebrating LGBT. And the children came in in rainbow colored clothes. And in one instance, on one classroom, there was a line that was put up on the board. A male on one side, female on the other. And then this sort of line. And then the 11-year-olds were asked well, about that spectrum. You know, and where do you feel you belong on that spectrum? Not are you male or are you female. Where do you feel you belong? I read this week about last year, Brighton and Hove Council sent out a survey asking parents with children as young as four to indicate which gender their child identified with rather than which sex they were. Only recently, London Transport instructed staff not to use the phrase, ladies and gentlemen. John Lewis, the other week, announced that they would no longer use boys and girls' labels on clothing, children's clothing, which was praised by some as a progressive move and denounced by others. The House of Commons... Women's and Equalities Committee is in favour of people changing their gender by merely, by merely filling in a form. It's a self-declaration model. You know, what, what do you think your gender is? Then you fill it in in this form. This is already used in Ireland, Malta, Argentina, Denmark. The chairwoman of this committee says there is no need for gender categories on any official forms because... Gender is irrelevant. That's a line, isn't it? Gender is irrelevant. Now, get my drift here. I am not here to have a go. That's not what we're about. The question is, how do we respond? You know, whatever, I, I don't know all of you here. And, and whatever perspective you are, where you, whatever perspective you are from, whatever you come from, I want us always to be known as a welcoming church. We embrace, we embrace people for where they're at, not where we think people ought to be, but where they're at. Jesus did exactly that. That's what Jesus did. Jesus got into such hot water with amongst the religious people, with the people that he was talking with and eating with. Incredible. I mean, it was so controversial. He didn't expect people to stay as they are, but he always received them where they were at. And it's really important we understand this. Because behind all these headlines, 
And I see you nodding your head and you wear this and, and so forth. But in the, behind all of this are a whole host of people. Now, I'm going to underline that word here. They're not a whole, I'm talking about people, not arguments. I'm talking about people. For whom this is a pressing matter. Either personally, where they would say, do you know what? I feel this. But I am biologically that. I feel this. But I am biologically that. Now we're in some instances where the biological sex is unclear. At birth, you know, it's unclear, it's ambiguous. We really don't know what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes. I, I sometimes have to watch myself when people are giving me personal personal things about what's going on in their life, I had to be careful with that little phrase, I know what you mean. Is that phrase, I know what you mean? Actually, in some cases, I don't know what, I don't know what they mean. I don't know what it is to walk in their shoes. I know what it is to walk alongside someone, but to experience the things they're going through, that requires a lot more than I know what you mean. That's not a helpful phrase. And so... It's a pressing matter for people and, and many, many others for whom this matter is moving at such a pace they're not sure what to think or how to respond. Andrew Wilson, he's part of uh, King's Church Catford and, uh, went, but when he was at Eastbourne he did a talk on this and, a, a, and he covered the, the matter of transgender and he used the title, What Does Love Look Like? What Does Love Look Like? I thought that was so helpful. You know, if you wanted to look it up, that's you welcome to do that. But it's far more full. I'm not going to spend whole morning on this, but it was far more full a picture. Very kind. We're called to love people. God loves people. Period. Stop. This is what we're called to do. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. But the second one's just, just like it. You don't love your neighbor as yourself. You don't love your neighbor as yourself. Loving people doesn't mean we always have to agree with the choices that they make. We don't have to affirm what people do. But it doesn't stop us coming alongside people. We do not have to make people our battleground. Why would we do that? But we don't have to agree and even affirm choices that people make. God loves people. Now having said all of that, gender is not irrelevant. Even among those who wish it were, who, who wish it were so. This is utterly illogical. And, and inconsistent to be, keep talking about gender and keep putting it on the, you know, to be plagiarized by gender, 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 and then say gender is irrelevant. Uh, that's illogical, isn't it? That doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent. Gender, 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 uh, gender is irrelevant. It's just utterly inconsistent. Doesn't make sense. Now, here, let's, the, the biblical fran, um, the biblical mandate here is male and female, he created them. This is God ordained. I mean, it's so clearly stated. 
Do you know, when asked about marriage in Matthew 19, Jesus goes, Jesus says, and, and he says it almost as if it's incredulous. Haven't you, haven't you read? Haven't you read, he said? That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Jesus affirms God's good creation. Male and female. Different. Male and female. And then he says it's more than good. It's very good. And we're not free to mess around with it. It's not chosen, it's given. It's a God thing. That's the... That's the how one that's how secure we can be. God ordained. Creation is good. Biological sex is good. If part of our mandate, and it's only part of our mandate, is to be fruitful and multiply, do you know that can only happen through the bringing together of two halves of mankind, male and female. It's not the whole story, I understand that, but it's a main part of the story. That's why marriage is so important, that we uphold marriage, male and female. This is the, my friends, this is the wonder of how God has made us. Well, what does it mean? Well, this is what God does, but what does it mean? Well, I, I just want, let me run you back a bit, sorry, because, because I know that Many people, most people actually believe, I don't know if it's most people, but many, many people believe that creation came about as an accident. Do you know it was a happening? It just, do you know it just happened? When, if creation comes up as an accident, do you know, happening, then, then everything is up for grabs. Everything is up for grabs. You have no anchor points. It's just a happening. Where are your anchor points? You don't have any. But you just, you know, it's an accident. Bertrand Russell, 20th century philosopher, uh, regarding mankind, and he makes this statement. I've, I've, I've shortened it because it's a really, it's a sentence, but it's, the, it's a really long sentence. So I, I shortened it. And, um, but it's regarding mankind, he said, his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs, are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. You go, wow, Neil, collocations, what's that? Um, you really need to look it up, actually, but it, it is, it's putting two things alongside one another. That, that's, uh, that's an incredibly basic perspective, but then he goes on, that, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. He's a happy chappy, isn't he? Okay. Everything you do, therefore, and everything you are, basically, is of no consequence. It has no lasting worth. If you think that through, that's a logical conclusion to come to. If there's no creator, if there's no designer, if there's no intentionality about you, about this earth, if there's no intentionality about it, well, what does it matter? My friends, what does it matter? 
What is man? In this perspective, he's nothing. Now, Samuel Beckett has this play. It's called Breath. Has anybody seen this play? I'm really disappointed. Not even one person has seen this. Uh, You might have missed it, actually, because it's only 35 seconds. This play is 35 seconds. There's no human actors. There's a pile of rubbish on the stage. It just sits on the stage and it's lit by a light that is dim. At first it's dim and then the light gets brighter but never fully so. And then it becomes dim again. No words. And right at the beginning there's this recorded cry which is meant to be the cry of a child like birth. And then you get this inhale breath And then you'll hear this exhale breath. And then there's a recorded cry at the end. I, death. 35 seconds. That's it. I don't know what people paid for if they paid for that. But, you know, I go, you know, was that the the introduction or what what happened here? 35, 35 seconds. You can watch it on YouTube. You have a spare 35 seconds. Slightly bizarre, but I mean, the point is made. The point being that man is trash. Trash that breathes momentarily, but nonetheless trash. Oh, my friends, this is a far cry. This is a far cry from what God has made us. Is it not? This is a far cry that we've been made in the image of God, that we've been made in the likeness of God. Oh, this is a million miles from that. In Psalm 8, David says, he, he writes this, what, what is man? What is man that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Now that's an intake of breath. What is man? That's a breath of, of wonder and yet... And, and yet slight puzzlement. <sighs> Almost, how could you do this? How could you do this? It's a, a sense of <gasps> joy and, and slight perplexity. No wonder David starts this psalm. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's how he begins the psalm. And, then, and he goes through all, because it all points him to God. And then right at the end he goes, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, I started here and I'm finishing here. You are so majestic. That's an intake of breath. And then in that psalm, David continues. He says, you've crowned them with glory and, and uh, honor. You know, God has put his image on us. He set his image upon us. You know, you get a, you get a, a it's royalty, my friends. It has an influence of royalty. Why is that? Because that's what God is like. You know, you see a, um, a gold ring and it's got a hallmark on it. And it's, I know, 24 carat hallmark. It's just gold. God has put his hallmark on you. He's put his image on you. No other creatures are, no other creatures get this. All of them are created, uh, created according to their kind. But you have humanity. 
is in the image of God. You know, he gave us ears to show that he hears the cry of the afflicted. He gave us eyes so that we would know that he sees. He sees the plight of the pitiful. That's what God is like. He's made us moral, rational, self-conscious, given us a soul. What is man that you're mindful of him? Don't ever think you're junk. Don't ever think you're junk. Don't do that. That is not a God thought. It's not a good thought either, but it's not a God thought. You are not junk. Don't you think that God thinks like that? That is not true. This, this doctrine is immensely important. Every person is of infinite worth. You know, whether you're mentally handicapped or brilliant, you're made in the image of God. Doesn't matter what your color is, what your nationality is, what your race is, what your class is, your background, your experiences. Um, everybody, everyone has immense dignity because, and we should treat people so, because they're made in the image of God. You know, one of my concerns when I hear conversations about immigration is when we solely choose people on merit. And I, I, know, I know this is a big subject, but just a little thought here, how we think about people. Because sometimes it comes across people that if they're only gonna, if they've got some credit, something of value for us, we'll have them. And if they haven't, we won't. What is that? That is devaluing people. Be careful. Be careful how you think, my friends. Be careful what we say. Don't we have something to give? Does it always be, have to be about what we receive? My friends, people, all people, have infinite worth. There's a story of uh, Mozart who's accosted by a beggar in the streets of Vienna. And the composer has no money to give. So he takes him to a coffee shop where Mozart quickly dashes off a minuet and trio. You think, Neil, I didn't realize you knew about music so much. I don't. But I am aware that it, it, it's not just a minuet, it's a minuet and trio, which means it's almost like a movement. It's, a, it's not an insubstantial piece of music. And he, da he dashes this off because he's a genius at this sort of thing. And he gives it to the tramp with a letter and he sends him to his publisher. And the astonished tramp walks out of the publisher with five guineas. This is many years ago, a hundred years ago. He walks out with five guineas in his hand. He doesn't dismiss him. Why invest that time and effort? Why do that? Why, why should he care? Because people matter. Why do we care about women caught up in prostitution? Why? Why, why do we care about those who are sick with that burden of debt week in, week out, month in, month? Why do we care? Why do we care about the homeless? Why do we care about this town? Why, do, why stretch ourselves as a church and go up to Hazelmere? Why, why do that? You know, we could have had a good thing going here. Because it's people. 
And people matter. That's why. And God cares. We're made in the image of God and and made of an image of a God who cares. Well, what else does this mean? I mean, we're absolutely invaluable, but quite simply, it's more than just the image, made in the image of God is not just a me. We're not made in the image of a me. We're made in an image of us. Adam was made for community. Male and female isn't, isn't just about marriage and sex. It isn't just about that. It's about community, male and female. Do you know, we can only do what God has asked us to do together. No, it's not just for male. It's not just for female. Don't have to have a battle of the sexes. Only together, as we complement one another together. It's a, it's a gift from God. And God has wired us this way, wired us this way for community. You know, the most important reason for community is the reality that God himself lives in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Everything, each person for the Trinity, and everything each person of the Trinity is and does is always in union with one another. We're made for community. That's why in Genesis 2, God says, do you know what? Well, he doesn't say, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone, but you know, Adam's there with paradise. I mean, he's in paradise. Walks with God and he's not without something to do, you know. I mean, he has a garden. I don't know what your back garden looks like or your front garden. I have not a clue. I don't know how big it is. This is huge. You want to read the account of the garden. I mean, you've got rivers running through this. Not a little brook at the bottom. It's a massive area of land. It's huge. It's not as if Adam hasn't got something to do. It's not good for man to be alone. We do this together in community. We're made in his image. In Proverbs chapter 8, you get this insight of the joy of and the delight, and I use those words deliberately because it, 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 of God in creation, you just, of, of God enjoying, in community, enjoying creation, and the wonder of, the, of what God does, and he did this, and he does this, and he does that, and it's, it's, it's magnificent, it's absolutely wonderful. It's all done in community, community, and he wants us to experience that joy of community together too. You know, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How does that happen? That you love one another. He wants us to be able to give and to be given to. To love and to be loved. To know and to be known. To praise and to praise. Be praised. We're called to overflow. The light of who he is with, with one another. Overflow. People say, oh, I'm a sort of, I'm a, I'm a half-empty glass. You heard that? My, I'm always, my glass is always half empty. You hear that? And someone said, oh, well, they're a, they're a half full glass. <laughs> half, half empty, half full. What are we talking about? We're an overflow. Full, full, full. Overflow in this life and joy and delight of others. It's community. That's why this church is not just a Sunday. That's why we put so much time into small groups. We make an effort about this. Being in community is important. We've been made in the image of us, not me. 
So lastly, as I ran off here, my friends, you are so valuable. God, because God has put his image on you, careful how we treat other people. But it's even more than that. So in Psalm 8, you've got verse 4, and it's, uh, what, is, what is man that, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Actually, in the King James Version, it goes like this. So I haven't got that up on, on screen here. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Visitest him. What is man that thou visitest him? The Hebrew word for care means to go out and find. To go out and visit. To care for someone means to go and find them. It means to make a move. What are we? That we would fill God's mind and that he would visit us. How wonderful is that? All he does. It's no wonder David starts the psalm, Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All that you do and all that you create and, and yet we fill your mind and you visit us. And so the New Testament tell, tells us that Jesus comes as a child, a baby. And then he grows to be a man who goes to the cross, who died for our sins. Why? Because he cares for you. When I became a Christian, the thing that struck me was, I don't know if, if you've ever thought that, but I would walk around and go, why me? Why me? I just couldn't get over the grace and the love of God. I go, why me? Why? Why would you do that? Because I knew what I was like. And then it dawned on me, if he could do this for me, he can do it for anyone. How valuable are we, my friends? How valuable are we? On the cross, Jesus was trashed on the cross so that you would know that you are of an infinite worth. On the cross, he took your judgment. That you might know that you are uniquely and wonderfully made. Hallelujah. And on the cross, he became nothing. That you really would become something. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh God, thank you for what you have done. Amen.